And the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. In the name of the one God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So today is Trinity Sunday. And as a new priest, I was wondering if I would be hazed in the standard fashion of the liturgical tradition. And behold, I am preaching today. Oddly enough, Father Eric also mentioned, I was the last person to preach before masking began. And so I guess I'm the preacher that's bookending our masking season at this point. But traditionally, it seems that senior priests have relished in the idea of watching junior priests squirm in attempting to explain the Trinity on this day each year. Well, before any of you get worried that I'm about to jump off into some heresy in an attempt to explain the Trinity, let me tell you, I reassure you that I feel under no obligation to explain the Trinity in any way. On the other hand, I am compelled to join my voice in affirming the evidence of Scripture, the testimony of the creeds, and the teaching of the church, that we worship one God in Trinity, and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, and another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal. Now, some people might say that it makes no sense to affirm a concept you cannot fully explain. But if you stop and think about it, that's not how life works at all. In the famous love passage that Father Eric mentioned last week, 1 Corinthians 13, Paul writes, for now we see in a mirror darkly or dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. If any of us in this life, and I mean any of us, believe that we as finite beings will have a full comprehension of the infinite God, the God you will come to know is not the God of Scripture. We must accept the fact that Scripture teaches that we know in part. Later, we will know fully. But right now, we have the evidence of God's Word to support our belief in the Blessed Trinity. Even with our dim sight, our epistle reading guides us in understanding that by the will of the Lord, we have been incorporated into the life of the triune God as we prepare to live in the new creation. Incorporation into the life of the triune God calls us to live by the Spirit. Paul explains to the Christians in Rome that we are debtors, but we are not debtors to the flesh. As a result, we are not obligated to live according to the flesh. He goes on to point out that living according to the flesh results in death. Instead, Paul discusses another option, 
He talks about living by the Spirit. When you are attempting in your own power to live in ways that oppose the flesh, I guarantee you that you will fail. We see people all the time apart from God attempting to do right, and they fail time and time again because they are not having the Spirit of God work in their lives to accomplish what they are trying to do. So I'm going to make a bold and likely unpopular statement right now. If you are not in Christ, you are a slave to sin. You are bound by sin, and there is nothing you can do to overcome it. And for those of you who are in Christ, before you were in Christ, you were a slave to sin. But you have now been set free from the bondage of sin and become slaves to God. And because of this transition, because you have a new master, you are obligated to live as he calls you. But you cannot do it in your own power. This is why Paul explains that it is by the Spirit that you put to death the deeds of the body. Putting to death the deeds of the body will result in you living. So remember, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if the deeds of the body die, you will live. The second thought that Paul presents in this passage that is that incorporation into the life of the triune God identifies us as sons of God. Paul goes on to explain that all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So while we, are, while we were slaves to sin and were told in human terms to present our members as slaves to righteousness, Paul notes that you are to recognize that you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. This spirit serves as the means by which we cry, Abba, Father. The declaration that you are sons denotes that you are not slaves. You're not a slave to your father. To your father, you are a son. And since you are not a slave, why are you a son and yeah, since you are not a slave, why are you a son and not a daughter? So sometimes people try to give Paul a bad name because of the language that he uses like this. And while St. Paul needs no defense from me, I want to explain what is going on here. The idea of adoption within Paul's world was generally associated with the adoption of sons, where an individual, sometimes even an adult, was taken from one home, brought into the home of someone else, and became a full heir with all the other people in that household. They had the rights and privileges, they had the name, they had everything that came with being a son of this adopted family. So when we look at Paul's world and see that adoption was something that was unique to his time and how it fits, adoption as sons makes a lot more sense for us, especially if daughters couldn't receive an inheritance, but we'll get to that in just a moment. But additionally, when we consider this morning's Old Testament lesson, we find additional support for the language of our adoption as sons. After this episode where Moses encounters the Lord God at the burning bush, 
the Lord speaks to him again and gives him instructions on what to tell Pharaoh. He is to say to him, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. Additionally, in the final verse of our reading, we find that the Lord identifies himself by saying, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. This identification leads to the promise that the Lord would take the people out of the bondage of Egypt, that he would take Israel, his son, and lead him into the land that the Lord had promised to Abraham and to his descendants. For just as the triune God was active and at work in the Old Testament, he is still at work today. Therefore, the offspring of Abraham experienced redemption from bondage, are declared to be God's sons, and function as heirs of the promise. Here's the beautiful thing about that. This simply didn't apply to those who were in the Old Testament considered to be the descendants of Abraham. It also applies to us, those who are descendants of Abraham and his offspring by faith. This leads to a third aspect of what I believe this passage tells us about our invitation. Incorporation into the life of the triune God guarantees our glorification and our suffering. With regard to our sonship, Paul explains that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. We like the glory part a lot. I think we avoid the suffering part as much as possible. But, interestingly enough, one does not come without the other. First of all, it is wonderful to know that we have assurance of our salvation. The Spirit of God, through his testimony with our spirit, reassures us of our status as God's children. And as children, we are heirs of God, but what do we inherit? Paul seems to depend upon his audience knowing the story of Scripture. When looking back at Romans 4.13, Paul notes the promise to Abraham and his offspring would be that he would be the heir of the world and that it did not come through the law but through the righteousness of faith. So, as an heir of God and the offspring of Abraham, we are to receive more than just a single piece of land in the Middle East. We are to receive the whole earth. We must remember the words of our Savior as he spoke in the Sermon on the Mount where he said that the meek shall inherit the earth. Additionally, as co-heirs with Christ, whom the Father has appointed heir of all things, we are to receive resurrection life just as Christ received it. In Romans 8:11, Paul explains, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead 
will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Through our baptism, we have identified with Christ in his death. And in the last day when he returns, we will identify with him in our resurrection and glorification. In the meantime, we are called to identify with Christ in his sufferings. Paul goes on to say that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. We live in what many call the already, but not yet. And by that I mean we are sons of God, but creation waits with eager longing for our revealing. We are children of God, but the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. We have been adopted, but we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, what Paul calls the redemption of our bodies. Even as we are about to confess in a few moments, as we do on a weekly basis, we look for the resurrection of the dead. And all that we are encountering in this already but not yet period is moving us toward what, what we have in store for us and that is new creation. During this time, we are being conformed to the image of Christ, for he is the image of the invisible God. And in this process, we are being restored to what we had beforehand, a full, unmarred image of God that we bear to all those around us. And as we are moving towards that, we also look for the restoration of all creation for the age to come. This is how incorporation into the life of the triune God looks. We live by the Spirit. We recognize ourselves as sons of God, heirs of God, and co-heirs with Christ Jesus. And we look with eager anticipation for the redemption of our bodies while we grow in our identification with Christ through our suffering. May the blessed God of all, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, lead, guide, and direct us as we invite others to join us in the life of the triune God. Amen.